Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm a veal kind of film scholar, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and third unmeshable thing, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about School Hard, the Spike episode of season two. I mean, the third episode of season two. <laughs> School Hard aired on September 29th, 1997, and was written by Joss Whedon and David Greenwald, and directed by John T. Crutchmer, who directed The Harvest for season one. This is the last episode of Buffy that Crutchmer will direct, and it's really too bad because there are some really strong directorial choices in this episode. Yeah, he's really good. And if you're a Kretschmer fan, uh, you could definitely check out Veronica Mars. He does a lot of episodes of Veronica Mars. So I know his name from that. And I'm always surprised when I see on Buffy, he's only done a couple of episodes because I'm so familiar with him. I always assume it's from Buffy, but it's from Veronica Mars. So you could check out his work there. Um, heads up before we begin, at any point on Still Pretty, we may talk about anything that happens in the whole run of the show. And as such, this episode, this podcast is fully spoiled. You're too old to eat, but not to kill, so let's go on patrol. In School Hard, Principal Snyder assigns Buffy and another troublemaker named Sheila with the task of organizing parent-teacher night. Meanwhile, a new vampire named Spike comes to town, and it looks like he plans to stay a while. Home sweet home. Spike and his paramour, the beautiful but sickly Drusilla, crash the Anointed One's party as they prep for the vampire holiday, the night of St. Vigius. Spike promises to kill the Slayer for him. Meanwhile, Buffy and Joyce have a heart-to-heart in which Joyce guilts her for her bad behavior. What I don't want is to be disappointed in you again. Well, that's the last thing that I want, too. I'm trying. I really am. I just have a lot of pressure on me right now. Wait till you get a job. I have a job. At school, Sheila's a no-show for the parent-teacher organizing, and Giles and Jenny discover that the vampires will be surely planning some mischief for the night of St. Vigis. That night at the Bronze, Spike stalks Buffy and then confronts her after she slays a vampire in the alley. Nice work, love. Who are you? You'll find out on Saturday. Happens on Saturday. I kill you. Spike kidnaps Sheila and delivers her to Drusilla, who feeds to keep up her strength. While everyone tries to figure out who the new player in town is, Angel shows up to tell them that he's a bad, bad vampire. Buffy has other problems, though, and as parent-teacher night is upon them, she tasks Willow with keeping Joyce away from her teachers. Unfortunately, Snyder gets to Joyce, and just as she's about to take Buffy home, a horde of vampires descend upon the school. What can I say? Good mic. The vampires attack and everyone runs to hide. With Joyce somewhat safe in the barricaded science room, Buffy goes through the ceiling to get to the library where she can get weapons. She tasks Giles with making sure Joyce gets out safely if she doesn't make it, and then leaves to take on the vamps, one of which turns out to be Sheila. Buffy takes Sheila out and then faces Spike. I'll tell you what. As a personal favor from me to you, I'll make it quick. It won't hurt a bit. No, Spike. It's going to hurt a lot. In the science room, a teacher and Snyder try to climb out through the window over Joyce's objections. The teacher gets killed. Joyce watches through a hole in the door as Buffy fights, but she can't see much. When Spike gets the jump on Buffy, Joyce comes out swinging with an axe. You get the hell away from my daughter. 
Faced with an angry mother, Spike and the remaining vampires run off. Snyder and the police decide to tell the media that it was a gang on PCP, but it's clear they know the truth. Buffy and Joyce leave, and Joyce tells Buffy that she's proud of her. I have a daughter who can take care of herself, who's brave and resourceful and thinks of others in a crisis. Back at the warehouse, Spike and Drusilla take over, and their first order of business is to eliminate the kid. From now on, we're going to have a little less ritual and a little more fun around here. Right, Noel. So, um, so this is kind of an interesting and fun episode, right? It really is. It really, <laughs> really is. And I know you are quite partial to this one, so I want to hear all about your take on Spike Hard, School Hard. Oh, Spike Hard, right? Spike yes, hard. absolutely. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. I want to save the dessert. So, uh, so <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's go ahead, I think, maybe and start the conversation by talking about this idea of the bad girl, right? Um, Because we have this character in Sheila, who is a bad girl. Um, And Buffy gets lumped together with her because Buffy burned down a school building, you know, twice Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, But it might have been smoking mice. So that's okay. Um, And so she ends up with Sheila. And being put in that category with Sheila, she says, that's what, that's what my mom sees when she looks at me, a Sheila. So we have Sheila, who is this kind of like categorically classic bad girl, right? She's almost she a misbehaves. caricature of a bad girl. She is absolutely a caricature of a bad girl. She's always drunk. She misbehaves. She's going out, getting drunk, hitting on random men and then random vampires. Right. Um, Spike doesn't even need to kidnap her. He just says a couple of words to her and she's like, hey, wait up. And she follows him. Right. Yeah. So we've we've built this kind of this stereotype of the woman who deserves what she gets. Right. For getting drunk, right? Which mm-hmm. when boys do it is cute and adorable, right? Yeah. Um, for being, you know, attracted to men and, and being presented as promiscuous, which really just means in charge of her own sexuality, right? right? Um, I mean, yes, she has a responsibility to help Buffy with the thing. She completely bails on that. Like, I'm not saying that she is a a model of perfect behavior. I'm saying that the, the things that we use as a shortcut for saying she got what she deserved, you know, instead of look what how look how she was dressed, it's, yeah. you know, um, which which is part of it, too. She wears these crop top shirts. You can see her belly button. She deserves to be attacked. Right. Um, <laughs> like all of this stuff with Sheila really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I was wondering what your response to that was. She doesn't feel like a character to me at all. She feels Mm -hmm. like she almost feels like a prop. Um, I Mm -hmm. don't respond to her particularly strongly. I mean, in that opening scene with Snyder, where he's, he's doing his little compare and contrast with them and, Sheila stabbed a horticulture teacher with a trowel and she corrects him. No, it was pruning shears. I mean, this, this girl was born to be a vampire. She's just, she's not only is she bad, but she's gleefully bad, right? She's like smiling and, and I mean, Lonnie, she's chewing gum. 
Come I know. on. If, I mean, you're, if you're chewing gum, you're obviously just a terrible human being. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. But, you know, we get the line about from Willow about she's been smoking since the fifth grade. And right. she goes home. And I was with, her lookout yeah. once. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She goes home with some guy named Meat Pie, which. Right. You know. Whatever the hell that's about. But I mean, I, that's the thing. Like, like, I feel like we're looking at this, this, you know, amalgam of bad girl stereotypes and saying i think she deserves what she gets because she's so awful but a lot of the things that she is portrayed that are portrayed as awful are things which in somebody who didn't have all the other awful characteristics you know would still be a reason to dismiss a female character we're going to see that in season three when we hit faith Mm -hmm. faith is this done right yeah you know with complication and layers and nuance and interest you know sheila is just this this way to kind of dismiss her as deserving what she gets we have the moment where she's you know hanging by her wrists as drusilla's about to feed on her watching spike and drusilla and drusilla's moving her dolls around you know yeah um and and in that moment you know she's terrified obviously clearly Mm -hmm. you know so we get one moment one brief moment where we have sympathy for this girl but god only knows you know what what happened to her prior to that that made her and not the promiscuity not the smoking not the attitude but like the kind of girl who would stab somebody anybody with pruning shears the kind of girl who would you know completely bail on somebody when you have a responsibility to help them out like you know the kind of girl who would go out with anybody who allows himself to be called meat pie right yeah like um like this kind of like the things that lead to that are completely ignored uh, the right. things that would give us sympathy for this character we have one moment of sympathy for her but the rest of it is like well you know she deserved it she was walking in an alley- alleyway with men she doesn't know and somehow that's her fault you know yeah she... like rather than the responsibility of whoever she's with i mean granted the one that hurt her you know the guys were also killed by spike so you know i mean the one who hurt her was a vampire but like that's his fault that's the vampire's fault if the guys had done anything bad to her it would be their fault that she got hurt not hers but i think that we kind of put it on sheila yeah well she's so awful right from the beginning that we're mm-hmm. not we're not allowed we're not even allowed to have any sympathy for her really mm-hmm. in that moment where she's terrified and and bound and gagged and spike in drusilla's bedroom she's yeah. scared but we're so invested in what's going on with spike and drusilla that i don't think we even i think i think her fear is as much a prop as she is i don't think yeah. we feel mm-hmm. for her in that moment so much as we're watching her be afraid and how that is a contrast with the glee that Spike has about how well this plan is going. Um, right. And her fear is also just something to, to highlight Drusilla. Exactly. Who's, you know, savagery in that moment is so incredibly cool. Yeah. Right. You know, that moment where she just turns and then moves so fast on Sheila's neck and we cut. That was beautifully yes. done. You know, as far as Juliet Landau, genius. We're going to get to that in a minute. Yes. Um, but yeah, like we don't ever have a moment with her. You know, where where we actually she is simply there to reflect other people, other characters back at us. You know, right. And to show us that Buffy isn't really a bad girl. Sheila is a bad girl who deserves Mm -hmm. to be in trouble. Buffy doesn't deserve to be in trouble. I think that's the I mean, that feels like the only reason we even have Sheila in the story. She's not a character. She is a foil Mm -hmm. for Buffy. She's a she's a dark reflection of Buffy. 
Um, and I think she's right. Buffy's. I mean, that that remark about you know when when my mother looks at me, she sees a Sheila, mm-hmm. really doesn't feel right to me. Um, yeah, I understand that that's Buffy's fear, but I really don't see how Buffy could see herself in Sheila. I think she sees an unfair reflection of herself, an unfair perception. I mean, Snyder treats her like a Sheila, puts her in the same, you know, category right. with Sheila, you know, um, and I think that Buffy feels like, I mean, it's it's really unfair. And then we like we, you know, which brings us into kind of like the next topic, which is, you know, Buffy's impossible situation, like her yes. impossible life. You know, she has this line where she says, I have at least three lives to contend with, none of which really mesh. It's kind of like oil and water and a third unmeshable thing, right. you know. And then when she's talking to Joyce and Joyce is being, you know, pretty awful. Again, we'll get to that in a second. It's awful. Um, You know, she's Joyce says, well, wait until you get a job. And she's like, I have a job. She has this secret identity. She has this sacred calling, this this, you know, responsibility that she cannot let go, which she is supposed to maintain while doing everything else that she's supposed to do just to be a regular kid who, you know, does well in school and is, is doing what she needs to do. Buffy has every reason to behave like Sheila. Buffy has every reason to be like, all right, so I have a short, nasty and brutal death coming up on me. You know, I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to live a long life. I'm a fucking slayer. I might as well have fun. And when we get to faith in season three, we're going to see that done right. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to see all of this done right. Sheila feels like the proto-faith. Yeah. None of the good stuff. Yeah. Um, But we have Buffy with all of the the weight of these responsibilities. Definitely. Um, She's, and I think that we see her balance them really well throughout this Mm -hmm. episode. I mean, that's the, the struggle for her of the whole episode, but. For my money, she does a great job. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's amazing what she does. When life Mm -hmm. gives you lemons, you make lemonade with no sugar, but (laughs) you do the best you can. You do the best you can. (laughs) But that's also, that's also sort of, sort of nicely symbolic, right? That she doesn't Mm -hmm. put the sugar in the lemonade, that she's not going to sweeten this experience for herself. Right. She's Mm -hmm. not going to, um, she's not going to sugarcoat it. I don't know. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but I like it. (laughs) No, actually, I think that's a really great insight into that. The fact that she does skip the sugar. She doesn't have time for sugar. There is no sugar anywhere in her life, except for maybe maybe a little sprinkled on Angel. But but, I mean, like everywhere in her life, she has to deal with the rotten things she's got. There's nothing she can do to make it better. Um, And so I kind of think that is a a nice metaphor. I don't know if it was deliberate, but I like it. Yeah, I like it too. And I love, I love willow's reaction that the whole reason for the no sugar in the lemonade is that amazing amazing willow not quite spit take it goes on just so that later it goes later when she says cordelia have some lemonade (laughs) it goes on just a little bit too long i love it so much yeah we do have buffy and joyce sort of pitted against each other in this you know in the in the first third of the episode and yeah I don't know. I don't. I. We get bad Joyce in this episode. We do get bad Joyce. This is one of the problems I've always had with um, with Buffy, especially in the early seasons, right? Mm-hmm. 
We have Joyce being just terrible. Joyce, even without knowing everything else that Buffy's going through. Um, we have this this horrible moment where she's like, we moved because you were causing all this trouble, not because I divorced your father and couldn't stand to be in the same town with him anymore. No, 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 no. Had nothing to do with that. Yeah. I had to get a new job. I had to do all this stuff to take care of what? Of you. And what I don't want is to be disappointed in you again. again. Disappointed that in you again. That is the meanest thing. That's, that is the meanest thing. That is so, you know? so harsh. It is so terrible. And as a mother, it's like, you know, I mean, there have been times with my kids where I'm like, hey, you know, you got to do better, right? Yeah. But you make that, you don't make that about a guilt trip. Like, I don't want to be disappointed in you. Like, I'm not disappointed in you. What I want is better for you because I think you deserve better. And here's how you can get better for yourself. Like, that's what you do as a parent, because that should be the angle you're coming from, that it's not about, you know, me being disappointed. I mean, sometimes it is. I ask you to do the dishes. You didn't do the dishes. I'm annoyed. You know, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little annoyed because you didn't do that. But when it comes to stuff like this, like like serious things that are putting a child at risk, that's about them. That's yeah. about what's best for them. Like as a parent, you signed up for those inconveniences. Mm -hmm. You signed up. I mean, and so for some of us, it's easier than others. I got off way easy. My <laughs> kids were great. They were well behaved. They never got in trouble. They got fantastic grades. They were always wonderful. Like I got off really easy and I know that. So I know that it's like, it's easy for me to say that given that I've almost never had to have that kind of conversation. But whenever there was an issue, you know, like it's about the kid. It's about yeah. like if Joyce in this moment, if we had changed nothing, but Joyce said, look, honey, you're so smart. You've got so much going for you. And I don't know what it is that's making this difficult for you, but but you are worth the hard work that you need to put in. Because in this circumstance, without Joyce knowing about the Slayer stuff, right. that would be probably where, you know, you're worth that hard work. You're yeah. worth doing this for. So you can have the same thing without it being Joyce making it about this guilt trip on Buffy. Well, and you could even drive home the, you know, Buffy is a Slayer and, and has this really ugly future ahead of her, potentially, mm -hmm. with Joyce saying something about, you know, she Joyce could be angry and say something to the effect of if you got kicked out of another school, you're not going to have the kind of bright future that you deserve. Right. And that, even that, yeah. you know, that kind of as a mother, you certainly <laughs> yeah. have every right to complain about the things your children do, not yes. to your children, to your mother friends. Yes. To your friends to your who friends are mothers. That's where it becomes about children. you. <laughs> Then you can say, oh, my God, my kid, we move, I moved Making my entire crazy. life right. and my kid can't get her shit together. I mean, that is yes. where you complain about your experience. But Joyce, I mean, she's so out of line. And it's such a weird scene that's just hurtful on a number of levels because it does not mesh with the Joyce we've seen so far. No, it's definitely two completely different choices. And I think that what happens is that we have these scenes where we need Buffy to really feel terrible. We just need to make her miserable. So we make <laughs> Joyce awful. But we don't want Joyce to be unlikable or truly awful. So in the next thing, we go and we make her great. So my feeling on it is like, I always read this as... Um, we're so deep in Buffy's POV that even though that's not what Joyce is actually saying, that's what Buffy hears. Yeah. So I headcanon that because otherwise we've got two different 
choices. Well, and uh, you know, throughout a lot of the series until she finds out and and kind of things calm down as far as that goes. But um, yeah, I don't know. But directorially, we do have two Joyce's in that scene yeah. because we we yeah. start with Joyce and Buffy in the mirror, and then Buffy mm-hmm. turns away from Joyce's reflection. But then we see Buffy in close up, and then there's this wonderful camera move where we follow Buffy as she crosses the room, sits down on the bed. And then we finally get to see Joyce standing in the doorway. We finally cut to Joyce, not reflected in Buffy's mirror, but as she actually is standing there. So, I mean, I co-sign your headcanon, I guess is what I'm saying, that this is really about, you know, Joyce in the mirror, Buffy's reflection, her imagination of her own role in her parents' Mm -hmm. breakup. I mean, we had that. Yeah. This is this is literally the stuff of nightmares. The episode, right. you know, Buffy's fear mm-hmm. that her parents break up is her fault. Right. So, yeah, it's but it's it's unnecessarily cruel. It's unnecessarily selfish of Joyce. Mm-hmm. And the way that the scene is played on on Buffy's end, she's not completely heartbroken by this line about being disappointed. She's just kind of. Yeah, you're right. Sort of, mm-hmm. you know, she's sort of resigned to this idea that her mother's disappointment is inevitable if things continue. Right. And from Buffy's POV, you look at that scene and it's not it's not that like it's it's hard. But when you actually look at Joyce and say, what the hell are you saying to your kid? Yeah. You know, like this is cruel, you know. Um, So, yeah, that that whole it's it's really interesting because I do like Joyce. Yeah, I do. Like I I like the Joyce, uh, you know, it's shadow Joyce and shadow Xander, right? Except it's I think it's a different phenomenon with Joyce. I don't think it's a cultural phenomenon so much as it is a a writing thing that you really need to torment your characters. Mm -hmm. And and Joss Whedon at the helm of any show is probably one of the masters of torment your characters. Never (laughs) give them a moment's happiness. Or if you do, make sure that you follow it with a misery that is equal to and excesses uh, excesses of that by (laughs) at least 200%, right? So... um, So I think that like the need to maximize Buffy's feeling terrible, Buffy's guilt, Buffy's shame, you know, um, and and really complicate her sense of herself. We bring Joyce in to serve that purpose without writing Joyce as a character. Again, she is the stand in mom who doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that from when you're when you're really in Buffy's POV, you're like, okay. But when you step outside of it and you reject the premise that this is okay for Joyce to say to her daughter, um, you know, and it's one thing as a parent to be like, look, this has been my experience. Yeah. Like, this is what it's like from my end. So you understand, like, you know, what I and, and But you also, like, don't use that to guilt them. No. You know, you don't use that to, to shame them and manipulate them. You don't, you know. Uh, well, I mean, people do. Yes. People have been doing that for, you know, since time immemorial. Oh, yeah. But I think that, like, you know, we can begin to understand now the kind of damage that carrying that kind of weight, carrying the weight of your adult considerations a child cannot carry that weight on there right you know that's not fair so um so it becomes you know it's 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 kind of an interesting thing it's very complicated and i find myself just having to headcanon my way out of it that it was just the writers were writing this moment so deeply from buffy's pov that we didn't step out of it to question whether that was an appropriate thing for joyce to say absolutely and then we flip joyce 
Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, and then we get some. We flip Joyce, and we get some really, really good Joyce in the second. We get some fantastic yeah. Joyce as soon as the vampires attack. Right, that is the turning point because up until then, she talked to to Principal Snyder. She was like, "Get in the car now." Buffy was in trouble. Then we have the attack, we have the crisis, and Joyce sees what Buffy does and how Buffy handles it. And there's that moment after Buffy has left, and Joyce is in the room with Snyder, and she's saying no, and when they're trying to go out the window, no, you heard what Buffy said. Like, she is not questioning Buffy's authority. Right. She is absolutely in line. She knows that her daughter's going to handle it. She trusts her daughter. Um, And this whole thing, you know, is just, is so great. And I love this turn in Joyce. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. I love Joyce getting a Sigourney Weaver in Aliens get yes. away from her, you bitch moment with yes. Spike and the axe. I was like, oh, hell yeah. It's fantastic. It I love that. It makes me so happy. And it brings me all the way back to, or not, or all the way forward, I guess, to yeah. the mm-hmm. end of the series where every woman who would be a slayer becomes a slayer. Yeah. And I'm just like, I want some 40 something slayers out there kicking ass because. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the moms, that would be a fantastic the, the mothers story. of teenagers who have seen all of the shit and have time exactly. for none of it. No fucks yes. to give. Those are the slayers I want. Somebody write me that series because <laughs> I totally want that slayer story. I That's want fantastic. I want slayers in their like forties, fifties, and sixties. That's what oh, I want. Yeah. Absolutely. Just kicking ass. I think that would be fantastic. Um, I love this too. And I don't know that I really believe it, you know, but it's like, you know, here Spike is, he's fighting the Slayer. Yes. Right? Yeah. He's got the jump on the Slayer. Mm -hmm. Then the Slayer's mom comes out and he's like, oh no, now I'm going to run away. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like... I don't know if I believe that. Um, I think that there there maybe needed to be something more. And then he has this thing, a slayer with family and friends. Like, how do we? And I'm like, I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, Spike, you know, supposed to be such a dangerous, badass vampire. Yeah. I, I read that more as he had this, because Spike is so theatrical and we'll get to that in a minute, mm-hmm. but he's so theatrical and so performative and his show was just he was he was upstaged in his own show and he's almost yeah. um it's it's less about him being afraid mm-hmm. and more about him losing his dignity that he yeah maybe not dignity but his his sense of control over the scene he right. is playing this in a very specific way. He's very aware of what he's doing. And this was mm-hmm. not part of his plan at all. He was ready Definitely. to put another notch in his peroxide bottle. And he <laughs> had not, like, this had never crossed his mind. And having something, you know, he's the rule breaker. Mm-hmm. And Joyce just broke the rules. She yes. one-ups him in that way. So, yeah, it does, I mean... I don't like that he doesn't really acknowledge what's happened. He goes, women, and then he runs off and he, he, oh my God, he, his Batman out the window Mm -hmm. 
is oh, so yeah. good. I love, I love the Batman. So I love good. The Batman he throws stuff. his it arms really up in the good. air for no reason other than so we can see that it is giant coat perfectly cape behind him. All right. It's fantastic. Do we have any? We're going to talk about Spike next because I can't wait yeah. anymore. Um, but do we have anything else about Joyce before we go? Well, I love, I just love the idea that even, you know, the scariest, scary ass vampire is no match mm-hmm. for a mother defending her child. Yeah, no, I thought that that was, I thought that that was good. I liked that a lot. Um, and I like at the end, you know, when they're leaving and Joyce says, Principal Snyder said you were a troublemaker and I could care less. I have a daughter who's brave and resourceful and thinks of others in a crisis, yeah. you know, and I'm going to sleep better knowing that. Yeah. And um, that is a great moment from Joyce. Yeah. And it's a nice, not quite callback to Snyder's initial remark to Buffy about parents, mm-hmm. if you have any. Not only mm-hmm. does Buffy have a parent, but her parent is a badass and her parent yeah. is, you know, on board with her. And that's mm-hmm. that's great. So we end Joyce in this episode on a really good note, I think. I think that we do. And the thing is, like, it's hard with Joyce to come down one way or the other. I mean, nobody expects you to be perfect as a parent. Nobody can be perfect as a parent. We all have bad moments, mm-hmm. you know. It's just that Joyce's bad moments aren't just... I, I think coming from like a moment of weakness or a moment where you said the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff, it feels out of character. It yes. feels like these two parts of her are not consistently characterized. Yeah. Right. Um, but I like the good choice. And so I headcanon the bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how I work with it. No. All right. So spike, 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 spike. <laughs> Spike come busting into town, running over the Welcome to Sunnydale sign, home sweet home. Oh, my gosh. You know, this becomes an iconic thing for him. We're going to see him, you know, run over that sign again, which is going to be really fun. Um, And then he comes out and he's got his vamp face on. And when you said that Spike was performative, I thought, you know what? He really, he really is. He pulls like a lot of vamps. They vamp up and when they've got the feed, when, you know, they're in a fight, when there's they're aroused mm-hmm. or whatever. But he vamps up very specifically. And you could say, yes, it's a choice of the, you know, of the production team because they want us to know that he's a vampire. He has to be in vamp face, you know, when he, you know, when he addresses the kid, he has to be like, we have to see what a bad guy he is because he is so adorable when he's just in regular face you know but I think we would have gotten that anyway except that he does have this very performative element to the character that he every move he makes everything he does it is this highly performative thing and Drusilla does that too yes you know, when she scratches his face and licks it, when they almost kiss and then both turn yeah. at the same time to face the the anointed one. Yes. Such great fun. They're amazing. This introduction yes. of Spike is mm-hmm. probably my favorite thing in the show mm-hmm. so far. Right. That guitar riff and then we see his boot clomp down on the ground and it's just like... There he is in vamp face, and if it if that yeah. wasn't enough, he lights up mm-hmm. a cigarette, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just like you I know. know. And we've we have established that smoking is bad, bad, bad because Sheila's right. been smoking since fifth grade, right? And right. Buffy's old school was burned down by mice who were maybe smoking, so right, you know, but <laughs> problematic mice. <laughs> so yeah, those were bad mice. But yeah. he is so great, and he just is happy to be his demonic self in that moment and i love it i love it so much i think it's so incredible and james marsters as spike 
is incredible. I love the evolution of his accent too. You know, like he's, he is working that accent so hard. He's an American actor, you know, working that accent so hard. And it comes much more naturally as he moves through, you know, but it's, it's so funny. And he just, he stomps into this scene. If every vampire said he was at the crucifixion was actually there, it would be like Woodstock. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I love his whole thing. His whole you know? grandiosity yeah. about entering this space and just taking it over with his presence. Right, right. And you know what I find works real good with Slayers? Killing them. And then, you know, to, to jump slightly back or a little bit forward, depending on how you're looking at this conversation, right. the moment when he decides not to kill Buffy because her mother was there. Yeah. Is that just an excuse because he's already kind of in love with Buffy? You know, I wondered about that, about when, like, what his feelings for and about Buffy are Mm -hmm. right off the bat. Because when he, that sequence where he's watching her dance is just, I mean... Talk about, I mean, uh, this is the, the John T. Crutchmer appreciation corner of Still Pretty yes. Today. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. That move, the camera move that just sort of goes from the dance floor to kind of the mm-hmm. crowd of the bronze. And then we find Spike lurking yes. in the shadows watching and the music And moving changes. so slowly. Yeah. Yeah. So he's so slow. He's so deliberate. And then there's this moment where he's watching her dance and we get the the shot reverse shot of his mm-hmm. eye line on her um, and she's smiling and having fun with her friends. And there's this little moment where he sort of there's a, like a little breath, a little exhale, mm-hmm. and then he snaps to attention and goes and gets the vamp and says, go get something to eat. Yes. There's this little like he's got he to pull himself together. Yeah. He's got to pull himself back to um business mode. Mm-hmm. He's here he's here to do a thing. Um Right. But there's this wonderful little it looks to me like he just he just like takes a little breath. Yeah. And I love it and I don't know what all to do with it other than use it right. as sort of the first point in this what's going to be a really really compelling relationship it is it's a lot of fun there are many points throughout the spike and buffy relationship when one should have killed the other and they choose not to every time they choose not to um and it's it's very interesting how they both pull back from that now of course you can you can you know go into the extra textual space and say well he was amazing and we didn't want to get rid of him so we had Buffy not kill him or you know she's she's the titular character obviously he can't kill her (laughs) but running away because her mommy came out with an axe like this is not a guy who's afraid of that I think it was an excuse you know I think I had canon that it was an excuse because he didn't want to kill Buffy because part of him has been in love with her always Aww. before he knew her. <laughs> I think he was in love with her. Um, so I found that really interesting and fun. I love the interactions with the two of them. Um, Spike and Drusilla. Let's just talk about Drusilla a little bit because Drusilla by played by Juliet Landau is a revelation. She is so incredibly weird. Yes. And good and creepy and lovely and god i just i don't even know if i have enough adjectives 
to describe Drusilla. <laughs> How do you like her? She, With that kind of intro, I guess your only option is to say you love yes. her, but maybe you don't like her. I don't no, know. No, I, I love Drusilla. I especially love Drusilla and Spike as a unit. Um, yes. You know, mm-hmm. When Spike comes in, he's in vamp face and he's in vamp face mm-hmm. until she enters and then he turns around to face her yeah. and he de-vamps he mm-hmm. you know we see him in his his reg his non-vamp face <laughs> his regular yes. face his his beautiful <laughs> beautiful billy idol face and mm-hmm. i love this this choice that drusilla connects spike to his humanity that his care for her and we see that in the transformation of vamp face Mm -hmm. to to human face but she is absolutely remarkable she her nonsense makes just enough sense yes (laughs) and their choreography is Mm -hmm. beautiful and i'm gonna go with choreography and not blocking. Yes. Because it really right. is like a dance. The way she walks mm-hmm. in with this, she almost floats in, in that weird yes. sort of nightgown, christening mm-hmm. gown, wedding gown that she's wearing. Yeah, the empire wasted, yeah. With the little mm-hmm. puff sleeves, so it's a little girly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's something, she's, she's incredible. She is somehow completely adult but also Mm -hmm. very very childlike in how delicate Mm -hmm. she is but she's so deliberate I don't yeah she's just she's amazing I have no it's unbelievable and and also my response to Drusilla is informed by everything she does throughout the run of both this and Angel when she she spends some time over on Angel um Juliet Landau I don't know how many actresses could have pulled off Drusilla? <laughs> Drusilla is a lot of character in a tiny, tiny space. Yes, she like, really is. And I don't just mean like, you know, she's physically tiny, which she is, you know, she's very waif-like, but it's a tiny space. She has very few lines. Mm-hmm. She has very few lines, very little to do in this episode. Um, but what she does with each word like Juliet Landau gives weight to every word that Drusilla says, and it is unbelievable. The two of them together are just fantastic. I love everything about them. Um, a couple of things, though, that I always found interesting. We have this idea of vampires, right? That they are, um, you know, that they're basically just a demon walking around in a human suit. Right. You know, that there's no part of the original human left within right. them. And I think that Spike and Drusilla are some of the first textual evidence that we have to um, to kind of counter that idea. Like Angel, we say he is who he is because he has his soul. He's a human that's, that's stuck with a vampire demon inside of him, but he's still his human self right. because he has a soul, right? Vampires don't have, most vampires don't have the soul. So we kind of put all this weight that the soul is where you hold love, where you hold goodness, where you hold, and and there's going to be a lot of um, textual evidence throughout the run of Buffy to kind of counter that idea of the soul, that the soul is what makes you good. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the lack of a soul is what makes you bad. Um, But here we have two vampires who are in love. Yes. Like, how do we explain love for a vampire without 
their human qualities. And you just said a little while ago, Drusilla gives him his humanity. Yes. Right? Yeah. So what do you think about that? I don't know that I read them as in love per se Mm -hmm. at this point. I read them as very much a partnership. They are Mm -hmm. complements to each other. And I think that that gets expressed really beautifully in their choreography. I mean, it's blocking, but it is so, so much like a dance. Um, The way that, you know, they almost kiss, but then turn their faces to, you know, look Mm -hmm. at the, the group there. The way that he sort of dances her across the bedroom to the bed and then lays her down and then does this amazing little, I don't even know. It's like a little flip over her so that he's lying beside her, but it's so smooth and seamless. It Mm -hmm. really looks like ballroom dancing. Um, They have this really unusual physicality in that, that first scene of the two of them together. There's a point at which, he puts his hand kind of on her chest, sort of over where her necklace is, but he mm-hmm. does it with his thumb down and his elbow up. And it is the most unusual looking touch that he yes. then pulls back into having his hand resting on her shoulder. And I'm like, what even is that? But they just sort yeah. of glide together. The physicality of them together really establishes them as this graceful mm-hmm. unit she is his reason for being in Sunnydale. The Hellmouth yeah. is supposed to restore her. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I don't, I don't know that I would call their relationship a love relationship at this point mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, just, you know, imagining that this is my introduction to Spike and Drusilla. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then they're, they're costumed and they're, the hair and makeup clearly makes them complementary opposites. He's got his long yes. black coat. She's got her long white dress. He's got mm-hmm. his, you know, white blonde hair and she's got her black hair and they're these lovely opposites, but it's an opposites attract kind of energy. I mm-hmm. just, I love them, but he clearly has regard for her. There clearly yeah. are emotions going on. Right. I mean, he's concerned well, he's incredibly about her. romantic with yes, her. Yes, he's very romantic with her. And he's concerned about her well-being in a sort of kind of a, it's a little bit overbearing, but that, that you know, encouraging her to eat kind yeah. of way. He's He's just, I don't know. I don't know. There's something. It's fascinating. And it does not line up at all with what we've been told about vampires so far. Right. It gives us a very human sense. I mean, it's dark humanity, but it's a human sense of vampires and their personalities. Yes. You know, and who they are. Because Drusilla has a very strong personality. And so does Spike. And so when you bring those person, I mean, Spike is always joking. Drusilla has the sight or whatever. Um, You know, it's, it's very interesting that we see all of this personality within these vampires, that there is personality to be had there, that there is a spark of who they are they're just without guilt and empathy 
you know, and remorse. So they just do whatever it is that they got to do. Um, but I do find it interesting because there is a sense of the performative in their love story, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I've talked a bit, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show or not, but I know I've talked a bit around about the difference between a romance and a love story, mm-hmm. right? You know, that a romance is about this, you know, kind of sexual, heightened, romantic, you know, uh, performative, spectacular in the sense that it is spectacle, you know, Um, uh, story, you know, this big, like, you know, Heathcliff on the Moors kind of bullshit, right? (laughs) But the romances, and I I write romances, like, I love romance, I'm always there for the heightened romance, but it is bullshit, like, it's not real. So there's, there's romance, and then there's a love story, you know, and it's possible that I think that he does love Drusilla. I think that Spike is not Spike if he doesn't love something, that he is motivated by love. And as we see Spike, you know, evolve throughout the run of the show, of, of this show and Angel, and we learn more about his history and we learn about who he is, he is always in love. He is yes. always in love, yes. you know, um, with the exception of Harmony. But that'll be interesting when we see that <laughs> play out. He just he cannot even work up the romance because he is all about the romance and the story. Yes. But the story with him and Buffy is not a romance. It's a love story because it's almost that he loves her despite everything and he doesn't want to love her. Mm-hmm. But he he ends up in love with her and just is stuck there. Yes. There's nothing he can do about it. Whereas with Drusilla, he is reaching out for this romantic, this performative, this spectacular, you know, thing with him and Drusilla, you know, yes. um, goddess of the dark, whatever. <laughs> and with Buffy, it is just simply, and we'll see that at the end of the run of Buffy, you know, I love what you are. I love what you do. You know, and that's when he really explains what the love story is between him and Buffy. So going from the Drusilla and Spike performative, and I do believe that is love. It's it's a dark and twisted love. And and Drusilla at some point during the run, I think it's in um uh in Crush, maybe it's in season six where she says, um, we love perhaps not wisely, mm-hmm. you know, but we love um, season five or season six. I don't know. Um, but but we move into this space with Buffy and Spike, which is just in the beginning. And I'm not sure that any of this was intentional, but there is such a wonderful um, kind of synchronicity with with these two characters um you know like he is danger he is sex right he's got the black leather coat and the red shirt underneath you know drew scrapes his left cheek right and leaves that smudge of blood there and in the next scene we cut to buffy who has a smudge of red paint on her cheek yep that's not an accident right no not at all not at all. Okay. No. All right. So this says these two are connected. Yes. Visually, we're connecting these yes. two, right? Yes, we're, we're connecting them visually. We're connecting the, you know, the the vampire story that is launched yeah. with, with Spike and Drusilla to the mundane, which is Buffy painting these posters for yeah. parent-teacher night. Um, no, right. we've, a- we've absolutely formed this connection between them. And yeah, I just I it's fantastic. Those little but it's not necessarily romantic. Yet, no, you know, like, I mean, and that's the thing. There's like this, this kind of Venn diagram overlap space between romance and the love story. You can have a space where you have right. both. And I think that's the, the ideal space from which to tell a romance story. Mm-hmm. 
But the story with Buffy and Spike is not romantic. No. You know, it's a love story, but it's it's not one of these like wild romantic Mr. Darcy. None of that, <laughs> right? This is dark and it's messy and they don't want to be connected. Yeah. They don't want to love each other. It's not performative. They're both resisting it and, and they will resist it for a really long time. As a matter of fact, I don't even think Buffy gets close to loving Spike until season seven. You yeah. Know, her, her connection with Spike is, it comes for her from a, from a much darker sort of uh, self-flagellating space, you know, but they are connected yes. regardless of whether there's a romantic element to it or not. There is a connection between them. And um, I love when he's watching her. You know, the first time Spike ever sees Buffy and you know that this is going to so fully alter his entire existence in a way that cannot be predicted from just this moment. Yeah. You know, but when you know the full weight of what happens with Buffy and Spike, this moment is so powerful. This is the moment when he first falls in love with her. Yeah. Like, I fully believe it. This is the moment where he literally falls into the love story with her. Well. Like, that's it. And I love, I love the way he draws her out into the alley Mm -hmm. to fight. Yes. Yes. Somebody's getting bit out there. I need to call the police. The way he comes back in with the, (laughs) I need a phone. You know, he's so, it's, it is so a performance. And then he watches her fight. And then when she's done, he applauds. As he steps out of the shadows. And I love it. I love that this is all about roles for him and Mm -hmm. role playing Mm -hmm. at the end Buffy says do we really need weapons for this and Spike says I just like them they make me feel manly I mean (laughs) he is self-aware he -hmm. is aware I mean he's so aware of what he's doing and what she's doing right he's it's it's amazing to me I just love I love that first interaction between them yeah you know, nice work, love. Who are yes. you? <laughs> it's so, so good. I love all of that between them. And I love also that we have this element of Spike that is going to be a huge part of his character moving forward, which is that he just doesn't think. He doesn't think things through. He doesn't. He just is of the moment. Oh, yeah. Like that is it. He t- whatever the moment is. And then like, you know, the night of St. Vigius, the one thing that they're all like freaking out about is happening on Saturday. It's happening on Saturday. Well, it's a good thing. Parent teacher night is Thursday. So at least we know right. what Buffy can only focus on one thing. And then, of course, he attacks and he says, what can I say? I got bored. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He's like, that's it. I couldn't wait. Um, and he just jumps into a situation that he is not prepared for. And I think he likes being unprepared I think Spike is at his best when he's thinking on his feet and he's not trying to adhere to any kind of plan like he is not a planner he is not a thinker he is a feeler and a doer and it's cool you know when he does that I mean it means he gets things get screwed up for him a lot yes he doesn't win but he's not about the win he's about the experience he's about the moment I mean if ever there is anybody who lives in the now more than Spike I've never seen a character that does you know um so I absolutely love that and then we get to this point in the fight in the school where uh he says I'll make it quick it won't hurt a bit and she says no Spike it's gonna hurt a lot and that right there is their relationship in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It is yep. so great. And I love that relationship. It's Spike is so 
so fantastic on a number of levels. Mm -hmm. You know, not. Yes. It's funny to me that we have this idea that vampires play by the rules, right? That that up until Mm -hmm. this point, it's been, oh, well, you know, it's the first full moon after whatever, or it's the night of this or the three days after, you know, there's something that tells them, all right, tonight is the night. So we know that we are prepared for this night. And Spike says, I don't care about your feast of whatever. I want to do this. I, you know, exactly. I'm do this my way. And he just, yeah. he rebels against that structure and that authority. And of course, he crashes parent teacher night, which is structure right. and authority in the context of high school. Of the mundane yeah. world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He crash- well, yeah. I also think that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I also think that Spike is transitioning us away from this very early idea of vampires as religious order, which we started with the master, yes. right? The master mm-hmm. was leading this thing. He had all these people. They were so faithful to him. He was basically running a cult, yes. you know? And so we've had the Knight of St. Vigius and the Order of Aurelius yeah. and, you know, the Harvest and all of these ritualistic, you know, kind of re- very reflective of ancient rites and religions, you mm-hmm. know, within these vampires. And we move from there into this kind of more secular space with these secular vampire. The vampire who's here, sometimes they'll they'll run in a pack because, you know, there's safety in numbers. But generally, he's out for himself. He's doing his own thing. He does not care about your knight of saint vigilus he does not care about your ancient prophecies (laughs) he does not care about your master or your anointed one or whatever (laughs) you know he is here to be a goddamn vampire and that's his business and that's what he does so spike gives us this transition within the world of buffy away from this religious sect vampire model that we opened with and into you know, if we see a ritual throughout the run of Buffy, it's because that ritual, not because the, the um, you know, there's an ancient sect or there's a, you know, a belief system or anything, but because that ritual will do something very specific for whoever the antagonist is, right. you know, that it is, it is very much a transactional thing. You know, the way that we go to the ATM and we punch our number in because it's required in order for us to get our money, that's not a ritual. That's just something we do to get from A to right. B. Like that's what happens with when we do have ritual you know like i'm thinking of the mayor eating all of the black licorice bugs or whatever right which is really gross like that kind of thing we'll see but it's never in this it's never because of faith it's because of transaction which is a much more secular thing you know it's just that the world is broader um as opposed to having kind of some kind of faithful you know cult-like um experience in our vampire so i'm actually another reason like there are tons of reasons why i love this episode and why this episode marks you know like the the beginning of spike for me which is wonderful and there's all these things but i really like moving away from that that kind of religious cult model for vampire community into this more you know we do what we want when we want to and fuck all y'all kind of thing i like that well and you just said something that sparked an idea for me which is um Mm -hmm. spike is here to be a vampire Yes, And I love that is such a a clear articulation of something that I was noticing throughout the episode, which is, you know, so I've talked about Spike as a performer. He's very theatrical. He has this grandiose Mm -hmm. sense of himself. And I think being he's very committed to the role of being a vampire. Yes. And capital A, capital B. (laughs) Yeah. 
And what I love is that in this, you know, so he's clearly, I mean, he's Billy Idol, right? I mean, yes. clearly mm-hmm. he is. He's got this. Well, actually, Billy Idol stole his look from Spider. <laughs> that's, that's a line that Buffy has later on. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, he's He is this punk rock god just storming uh-huh. into Sunnydale. And he equates vampirism with masculinity in this really, uh-huh. I mean, it's performative gender in the queer theory sense. So he, he mm-hmm. when he knocks out the, the first vamp who's, you know, being all braggy about having been at the crucifixion, mm-hmm. you know, he calls him Nancy boy to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, masculinity is homophobic. But, oh, you yeah, know, absolutely. But then right. he says... Now, any of you want to test who has the biggest wrinklies around here, step on up, which is just, I I can't with that line, but it's such a perfect spike line. It's, yeah. it's this, yeah. you know, vampirism for Spike is masculinity. It's he's got, he's, yeah. he's the vampire with the biggest balls, you know, and that's just mm-hmm. what, you know, and he wants the weapons because they make him feel manly. He's very right. invested in this kind of this sort of um, masculine performance that he's putting on, which is why Mm -hmm. I think when he's knocked over by Joyce and Buffy, he says women before he scurries away. Um, Mm -hmm. He's very much in the, the, on the flip side, he's in the lover protector role with Drusilla. It's very, um, you know, he drapes her in his coat in this really loving way. He's very, Mm gentle and careful with her in this sort of weirdly gentlemanly way he's the leader in their dance if you're Mm -hmm. watching them dance across the floor in that shot that i just absolutely love where sheila's tied up in the background we don't call it out at all but there she is we just glide right Mm -hmm. by her um because she is she's just a sandwich on a plate well she's there to be a prop that's all i mean we talked about that already but mm-hmm. the way, you know, the way he applauds Buffy's fight, but then is kind of, I don't know, he's sort of patronizing towards her about like, yeah. like he could, he, that, that moment where he walks away and she lets him is such an interesting one to me that yeah. there's this power dynamic already in place, but I don't know sort of what it is, but he's so, I don't know. I love I love this idea of Spike's creation of his own brand of vampire masculinity and that that is what he's doing yeah. and that it's conscious mm-hmm. that he's very aware of the performance that he's putting on. Yeah. I don't know. I oh, just absolutely. I love it. I love absolutely. we can we're going to probably going to end up talking a lot about vampires and gender and you know what the mm-hmm. the gendered nature of vampirism <laughs> on this show. Yeah. Um, but Spike has really set that new precedent, I think. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because he does have this very masculine way in which he addresses everything. Yeah. Right? But I don't feel like he's he's misogynistic i don't think that he looks down on drusilla as lesser because she is a vampire like i think that he he also allows a space for her to have a feminine vampirism 
you know, which is not something up until this point that we've really seen. No. Like the the male vampires had personality. Yes. Darla had a little bit of personality before we dusted her, mm-hmm. right? She was a female vampire who was allowed to be female, you know, who was allowed to be feminine, who was allowed to be a woman. Right, you know? but she was still um, aggressive rest- in a way that yes. was sort of mm-hmm. um, gender flipped. And then, of course, she her undoing is when she comes out with guns and has all of this. Un- the ultimate phallic yep. symbol? Yeah. Well, I mean, Lonnie, it points and shoots. Come on. But she comes out with two guns, and that is just that that's too much masculine yeah. energy for one female vampire. Thank you very much. It's too much power. Yeah, yeah it's too much power for a mm-hmm. woman. Um, it's interesting because I don't I don't see that in Spike. I see him very much like loving his his masculine energy. Yes. But I don't, I don't think that he wants to take away. And actually having him say women, like <laughs> that doesn't feel like a spike line. That is the one line where I was like, that doesn't feel it like It doesn't spike. feel like a spike line, but I think it's... In- humans, I could see him be like, humans, <laughs> Jesus. You know, I could see that, you know, but I don't, I see him looking down on people because they're yeah. people, but not because no, they're No, I don't think it's a looking down on. I think it's a being annoyed mm-hmm. with. I think it's, I yeah. think it's a... You know, I would have I I would have gotten away with it if you weren't if it weren't for you meddling women. Um, right. But if a boy had done the same thing to him, he wouldn't have been like he was annoyed with uh, Angel. We have this wonderful moment, oh right? God. When Angel comes in with Xander, yes! you know, with yes! Spike and is like, shall we feed and all this kind of stuff, you know, and it's just and I love when Spike punches him. He's like, you think you can fool me? You were my sire, man. You were my Yoda. <laughs> like, you know, you Uncle Tom, right? Hi, everyone. Noelle here. I'm calling myself out because I dropped the ball with respect to addressing racism in this episode. When Spike berates Angel for refusing to prey on humans, he says, you Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom has a crucial and complex role in U.S. history, both as the title character of Uncle Tom's Cabin and as a derogatory term for a Black man who is seen as being willing to do anything to remain in good standing with white people, including betray other Black people. Now, I'm not a scholar of Black history or Black culture. I'm a white person with Google who is working to be a better ancestor. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have access to the same search engines that I do. For now, I'll say that the choice to have one white vampire use a racist expression toward another white vampire is problematic at best. I'd love to continue this conversation if you're so inclined, so please at me on Twitter and continue to call me in, call me out, so I can continue to educate myself and we can all learn together. Thanks. Um, this whole thing with Angel and, uh, you know, and he's, he's, he doesn't know that. I mean, I don't, I don't know where the clarity comes in. Like when Spike found out that Angel got his soul, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm still not, we're going through so many layers because I'm, I'm, you know, three years ahead of this space in Buffy over in Still right. Dead where we're talking about, you know, about Angel and all of that stuff. And like, you know, the, the history between Spike and Angel, this is somewhat retconned from where we are right now. What we see right now, you were my sire. Angel actually wasn't 
his sire, Drusilla was his sire. Um, so, I mean, we're retconning a lot of this relationship. So what we get here in this moment isn't necessarily, you know, indicative of what their relationship is at that point. But, you know, I just saw the flashbacks to the Boxer Rebellion where, you know, Spike killed the the Slayer in right. China. And, um, and at that point, Angel had his soul, but Spike didn't know that. Like when Spike learns that Angel has his soul, that there's a difference between Angel and Angelus and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, it's, it's very complicated. I'm not sure exactly when we get that shift. Um, but Spike and Angel are one of my favorite relationships throughout Buffy. So it was really fun to see their first on-screen interaction. I love but, that scene. Love it. There's yeah, everything no, I about think it. it's great. But he was really annoyed with with Angel in that moment. Yeah, you know, and annoyed with Xander, I guess. But he's not like, oh, man, yeah. you know, like, I mean, there's something about the way he says women, I feel like, yes, I understand that he's annoyed with them. But I don't think that he would be annoyed with them and blame it on their gender. It just doesn't feel like Spike to me because he loves women. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> and he's very, you know, he's not hyper masculine in his own gender presentation he's hyper masculine in yeah. his performance and his performative but he yeah. looks quite androgynous which is interesting yeah. to me as well he's pretty. he's real pretty he's very pretty. oh he mm -hmm. is so pretty <laughs> he is incredibly incredibly pretty but i love that idea of performative spike i hadn't really thought about it that way before but you're so right it's absolutely essential to who he is and who he is like when somebody's in the room or when he's by himself we won't see him by himself for a while but he always has a performative element even when he is by yeah. himself which is so interesting because it is part of who he is he's always aware he's always i think i think performing for himself yeah. 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 So Spike is wonderful and I'm so glad he's here. He marks a shift in um in the world building. He marks a shift in the writing and uh, this is the moment that you wait for. School hard is the moment when Buffy turns, yes. when Buffy starts to become really Buffy and it's so so fun. Um so we have some other little things that we can talk about yeah. a little bit like Xander and Willow and Cordelia, yes. right? Who are a lot of fun. I love that moment when Xander's going into Buffy's purse. She needs oh. a Oh she's outside of the bronze fighting the vampire that spike sent out to distract her um and he's going yo yo tampon steak yeah. you know <laughs> i adore that moment i adore that yeah it's the perfect buffy three beat i mean childhood right. i didn't even see that it's so brilliant i love the way you childhood with the yo-yo Menarchy mm -hmm. or the onset of menstruation with the tampon and adulthood with the stake, which is connected to her job. Um, right. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of these being three unmeshable things. Right. She carries them all with her. All at any but time. But they can't really coexist. And that's her. That is her job is to carry them all that together. Such a brilliant insight, Noelle. I cannot even get over that. I saw that in your notes and I was like, oh, my God, it's brilliant. <laughs> well, I love those small. I love small details yeah. in production You're so design. so good at seeing that stuff. Because somebody yeah. chose that. And I just I love it. Mm -hmm. And I, I got to give it up for nicholas brendan and the way he handles yeah. that tampon when he realized <laughs> when he realizes what it is it is the most authentic uncomfortable with sexuality teenage boy fumble right. of an object mm -hmm. i love it it's so great 
He's so... And it's one of the only references to Buffy ever having her period that we ever... And this is one of the things where you can tell a woman was not running the show. (laughs) There would have been a joke about Buffy's period at some point. Although maybe maybe it was something they couldn't do because the WB wouldn't let them. This was considered to be a show, I think, for younger audiences Oh my God. If I were writing the show, we would have a period reference probably every four episodes. Seriously. (laughs) Oh, seriously? Oh, yeah. We would be talking about her period quite it regularly. It would be great. <laughs> it would be great. And a lovely, a lovely, lovely counterpoint to fighting vampires. Um, yes. But we actually, I mean, shout out to periods in this episode. We actually get a couple of, a couple of period moments, which I just, I just love. Um, <laughs> Wait, we have period moments? We got the we tampon we have, aside from Yeah, that. we have a tampon cameo. And then, uh-huh. I mean... This might be a bit of a stretch, and it gets me t- into a kind of icky sort of Hannibal Lecter space. But when Spike says, <gasps> I smell the blood of a nice, ripe girl, is Buffy carrying her tampons oh. with her because she's on her period while this and he can is going? It. Oh, my God. Um, and then at the very end, when we have Cordelia praying and promising God that she won't, <laughs> <laughs> she won't be mean to anyone unless it's that time of the month. So right, oh I forgot. We do mention the we've periods got a there. Little, oh my god, a little you know shout out to periods in the Very Buffy verse. Nice. I love it. I love it. I don't think we like honestly. I'm not sure we ever even so much as reference a woman's period again in the run of Buffy. But if we do, I know you'll see. Oh, it, so. you know I'm going to be watching for it now. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, that's great. That's great. And again, it has to be all this kind of a side thing, mm-hmm. right? It has to be that time of the month instead of unless I'm on my period. Right. <laughs> Right. Or about to get my period because it's that. usually the pre-period week where hormones yes, are just... it's that PMS yeah. space mm-hmm. where it's just the worst. It's just yep. the worst. Um, all right. So we've got uh, we've got this great thing with, with Xander. We've got Buffy's period, which I think is great. I'm so glad yeah. you picked up on all of that. Um, and, um, and I love this moment, too, where they're talking about Spike and Xander wants to run. And Willow says, we can't run. That would be wrong. Can yes. I? <laughs> It's so, so great. I love Willow, Willow in this is, episode. She's so fantastic. Willow um, figuring out Angel's dating history brings me I so guess. much joy. I know. Even if it was two a year over 400 years, I mean, that would still be like... <laughs> Why do they call <laughs> it a like, mace? No. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> right. So good. It's so great. And I love, you know, we have Cordelia who is becoming more and more part of the team, right? She's there whittling staffs with everybody, prepping for parent-teacher night. She's part of the gang, which is really nice. Um, And then we have this, you know, this moment where she's, you know, basically telling Buffy that Buffy's going to be grounded forever after her mom finishes talking to Principal Snyder. And Willow just says, hey, Cordelia, have some lemonade. Willow is not cowed by Cordelia. We've had this argument going on, you know, online, and I still stand by it. Willow is in no way intimidated by Cordelia or like she didn't like her, but she's not in any way like cowed or bullied by Cordelia. Cordelia is not, you know, Cordelia is just kind of standing there being, you know, saying the true thing, being the truth teller, which of course means you're not going to be liked. Although there are a lot of good reasons. If you look back, she was a bully last you know, season um, to not like Cordelia for a lot of reasons. But um, but it's really fun. I love when Willow stands up to Cordelia. I absolutely love Cordelia, just like that part of the group. I love that yes. scene where we get a we get a lovely 
um, Kretschmer-esque mm-hmm. <laughs> pan mm-hmm. across the group. And here they all are just doing their thing, preparing as a team. And there's Cordelia. And I love the mm-hmm. idea that after last week, after, you know, Xander saved her life and then kind yeah. of blows her off. But I like the idea right. that she's she's like, no, I'm going to hang out with these people because right. they clearly know what's up. Like, Well, in Sunnydale, I think being in close proximity to the Slayer is not a bad idea yeah, in general. Yeah, <laughs> you pretty much that that's where yeah. you want to go. Um, but exactly. I love Cordelia and I love I love Xander and Cordelia butting heads mm-hmm. but then both yeah. making the decision to sneak a slice of bell pepper when Buffy slips out of the room so there we've already got uh-huh. the like opposites attract and of course we have complementary colors with those bell pepper slices because I love to read into the <laughs> tiniest details I love it but I love I do love Cordelia <laughs> as part of the group and I love um the way she just she's still herself Mm-hmm. But she's part. She's part of the gang now, and it's just I. Yes, yeah. I I adore it. She's very fun. She's very fun. I oh I love Cordelia. Every time we see Cordelia, it always makes me happy. So it's really really good. I'm I'm very glad we're into season two where we're making her less of an asshole and more of a part of the team, which I really love. Um, and a great scream. So also a great scream. Oh. We had great Cordelia screams last week. Cordelia is very good. We at that, have yeah. a fantastic scream. When the vamp comes at her in the hallway and then Willow grabs Mm -hmm. that bust and just whacks him. I know. I love that. Willow is so badass. And Willow's in charge. Willow gets them into the closet. You know, she's making sure everybody's Mm -hmm. safe. She covers Cordelia's mouth. She's standing behind her covering her mouth. I love, love that scene or that. Yeah, little sequence. It's great. So we've also got Giles. Not much Giles Giles in this episode. But some, I, I, I especially love this moment, right? When, when the school's under attack, Buffy, you know, manages to come through the ceiling, yes. you know, in, in the library. And Giles is about to go out and about to fight. And I'm not going to let her go out there by herself. I'm responsible for her. I have mm-hmm. to go, you know. Um, and then she comes in and she says, Giles, my mother's in that room. If I don't make it out of here, I know you'll make sure that she does. Mm-hmm. And Giles just responds with bloody right I will. Like, he is about to go out. And fight with her mm-hmm. because his responsibility is not to watch and stand by, but to fight by her mm-hmm. side. But then she comes in and she says, this is what's important to me. My mother is what's important to me. And that's what I need you to do. And he, without a blink, without an argument, without saying, I'm the man and I must protect you, says, bloody yeah. red, I will. Right. Like his loyalty is not to his sense of his masculinity, his sense of him as her protector, his sense of like any of that identity. His loyalty is to Buffy. What does Buffy need? He is the ultimate in support person. You know, even though he's he's in this position, you know, which comes down from the patriarchal as fuck watchers (laughs) council. What? Which we will get into we will get into, I mean, it is P-A-F, Watcher's Council, like bad. Um, but he comes from that background, you know, wherein the Watcher is some sort of like authority figure or power over the um, over the Slayer. But his role, his identity, his everything is not about controlling her. It's not about 
you know, telling her what to do or having any kind of authority. It is about being a support figure, you know, in, in this like real sense of actual support. Yes. She needs something. That's what he's going to do. And if it is fighting by her side and dying, if it is getting her mother out, whatever Buffy needs, that's what he sees his job as. And I love that from Giles. I really, this time through Buffy, I'm really appreciating Giles's relationship with Buffy as a yeah. co-worker kind of relationship. I mean, it's an odd yeah. co-worker relationship, but he really has respect for her and her role and for his role in relationship to her. And it's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Yeah, no, it is. It's really great. And I mean, the thing is that he is in this role of teacher. Yes. Right. And the thing with being a teacher is that you can slide that. And the same thing with parent. Right. You know, it slides so easily into authority and control, you know. But the truth is that a parent relationship, that a teacher relationship is a support relationship. I am not here to control you and have power over you. I am here to teach you you know, as a parent, how to be a person, as a teacher, how to do whatever my thing is, right? Yeah. I am here as a support person to you. My job is about you and how I can support you. And Giles is both parent and teacher for her. And he sees that and he lives to that. He is there as a support person. Now, that doesn't mean that as a parent or a teacher that you shouldn't, you know, assert because you know things that this person you're supporting doesn't know. You know, you have to assert some authority, but it is still in service of the support role. It's easy to shift that authority from support into power. And Giles doesn't do that. Yeah. And I love it's that. wonderful. And mm-hmm. he's got just a great little moment where he's coming to tell her right at, at the beginning. She's painting the banner. He's coming to talk to her and he puts his hand in the paint and just yes. just keeps going. He just doesn't acknowledge. He's just like, all right, we got to we got to do this thing. It's it's such a great little acting choice and such a great little moment for Giles Mm -hmm. and helps to kind of I don't want to say undermine his authority, but make his because he's he is telling her what to do in that moment, but he's not going to use any sort of authority as a weapon against her. He's. Just right. as just as paint stained as she is in that moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's just it's really, really great stuff. All right. So um I see in yes. our notes that we have a John T. Kretschmer appreciation corner. So before we move into all of our regular segments, since this is the last time we'll be working with John T. Kretschmer yes. and Buffy, I wanted to give you a moment to just talk about all the wonderful things he did in this episode well, as a director. There are so many strong directorial choices in this episode, and I've already mm-hmm. touched on lots of them from that pan mm-hmm. up Spike's you know, lovely long black coat as he enters mm-hmm. the world of Buffy to... The beautiful use of long take, um, which mm-hmm. just, I mean, it showcases the sets, you know, Buffy's bedroom, Spike and Drusilla's bedroom, the bronze, but it also gives the actors this great opportunity for a more um, connected performance because they're in the scene yes. longer with each other. So mm-hmm. they have to be tuned into each other. And it really 
really shines. It gives us an opportunity for some great blocking. Um, we talked mm-hmm. already about Spike and Drusilla with Sheila tied up in the background. I absolutely love that scene. Yeah. But also Buffy and Joyce in Buffy's bedroom when Buffy's sort of moving across the room and the camera's following mm-hmm. her and then Joyce comes to sit down beside her on the bed it feels very stylized but also very naturalistic somehow Mm -hmm. we get lots and lots of long dark hallways which just feels so buffy to me i feel like this is the show really starting to look and feel how it's gonna look and feel um Mm -hmm. for you know certainly the remainder of season two and Mm -hmm. i mean Dude loves him a dolly or pan from left to right. I mean, over and over and over again, we get a pan from left to right, dolly left to right. When it's when we're in the library, for some reason, it's right to left. But I think that's because we have ostensibly come in through the double doors and we're seeing everybody mm-hmm. in order, right. in that order. Mm-hmm. But I just love, I love the sort of um, dance quality to the camera work, the shot composition. It's, it's just, it's so pretty. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just such a pretty episode and I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. And that does make a difference too. using a longer shot with movement as opposed to going from edit to edit Mm -hmm. to edit. Um, These are things that I think that if you, if you're not conscious of it, you don't realize how incredibly powerful those choices are. Um, And, and, you know, and sound, is also another incredibly powerful choice. But there are a lot of these choices that are made in the making of a TV show or of a film that you don't realize how powerful they are. You know, what a difference it makes um, when a director makes specific choices like that and choosing to have a longer shot um, and to give us more space as opposed to just, you know, a cut over the shoulder, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, the two shot, you know, and cutting back and forth that we're actually moving. Like when we move, you know, in those spaces, when we do the dolly, when we do the pan, you know, um, we are in the space with that character. We are moving, you know, through that experience. And I think that that is, it is an invitation into the experience, um, very much visually. Uh, so, you know, I'm with you. I think Crutcher has got some and when game. he doesn't, when he gives us that quick edit, um, I'm thinking yeah. about Drusilla's transformation. When she launches on Sheila, that is so good. It's so good. good. We're looking at Drusilla over yeah. Sheila's shoulder. Mm-hmm. We cut to, Drusilla's addressing the dolls. We cut to the dolls. We cut mm-hmm. back to Sheila and Drusilla and Drusilla is in vamp face. We don't see yes. her change. And it happens midline. She's speaking yeah off camera we're looking at the dolls mm-hmm. it's so great it's so abrupt and there's no like whoosh vamp face sound yeah. there's no sound effect yeah. for the transformation nope. it's so and good. then she moves so fast yes. on sheila it is a truly scary moment and we cut so everything is is so deliberately done it's really it wonderful is, i i absolutely love that editing choice all right so let's go to what are you wearing the significance of clothing and i actually have something here i love seeing buffy in overalls and an old t-shirt i i mean i get buffy's got a fashion thing and there is nothing wrong with somebody anybody man or woman who wants to decorate their bodies who wants to you know appear in the world a certain way but when buffy is killing vampires in leather and high heels. <laughs> it always annoys me because I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like, 
First of all, she's wearing leather pants. She's got to be sweating her ass off because she's beating up all these vampires in Sunnydale, California. It's warm there, yeah. you know. Um, and then on top of it, running like that in high heels all the time. Bitch needs sneakers and jeans and sweatpants and T-shirts. <laughs> and this is like the one time we get her in casual wear because she's going to be covered in paint. Um, so I really I appreciated that. There's some, it was good, nice. there's some good overalls in this episode. Earlier, Willow wears some black overalls yeah. that I I think I had yeah. in high school. Um, <laughs> and speaking of Willow's wardrobe, Willow gets to wear a Scooby-Doo t-shirt. Right. So this is one of the first Scooby references. Eventually they will, you know, call themselves the Scoobies. They will self-appoint, you know, the the nickname. Um, But up until now, we haven't really had a reference. So here we've got a visual reference to the Scoobies. Yep. And we've got Mm -hmm. Xander's messenger bag, his sort of weird messenger bag that he's carrying at the beginning. um, Yeah. He cuddles Mm -hmm. when they tell him, you know, some idiot says, as long as nothing bad happens. Right. Like, Maybe it'll be different. He's like hugging his bag. I know. It looks to me like later on when Buffy drops down from the ceiling into the library to collect mm-hmm. weapons that she's using Xander's bag. That bag, right? I think it's the yeah. same bag. It may not be. It looks like yeah, the same bag. But it really bag. looks like yeah. the same bag. And I just, mm-hmm. I love that, that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jenny Callender is in this episode, but just barely. And her wardrobe is mm-hmm. having an identity crisis. They... Oh, wow. You know, I didn't even notice. I didn't even care well, about Jenny. Anytime she showed up. She's a like, non-character in this episode. Um, yeah. But just last week, I mean, she wore that fantastic, like, sort of bondage yeah. gear inspired belt to the football mm-hmm. game. And mm-hmm. she's had some she's had some great wardrobe moments. I think it was last week that we talked about her her lovely, like, open knit sweater and her little skirt. And she just looks so pretty mm-hmm. and feminine. And then. And this week, they're kind of, she's sort of all over the place. It's like they don't know whether they want to make her look like an adult in the sort of maternal space or if they want to make her, Mm -hmm. if they want to continue with the sort of cool teacher thing that they've been doing. Um, But it doesn't really matter because she's not really a presence in the episode. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, um, I did like that, uh, that we had Jenny doing the research that got us to St. Vigius, you know, and that they were working together. And she was like, you got to read something, you know, written after 1066. And it was very cute. But yeah. Giles can't bring himself to call what she's doing research. He says research and exactly. then he corrects himself to surfing on, on what is it? Surfing on the computer. <laughs> on the computer yeah. or something. Yes, he corrects himself. But it's mm-hmm. just, I, yeah, I love it. It's very yeah. funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do we have much for our arc, the patriarchy this week? I didn't, I got to say, I don't think we had, did we have any shadow Xander this week or was no, he just No, we good just Xander? got good Xander this week. I mean, yeah. We just got good yeah, Xander. Yeah, he's very cute. He's sort of funny being sulky about not wanting to go get Angel, mm-hmm. but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But he does. He goes and he gets Angel. He does the whole thing with Angel. Like, he's yeah, good and Xander I love- this week. What's this about you being a sire? What's a sire? <laughs> What's a like, sire? Do I have to learn another paranormal I word? Know. What is happening? Poor Xander. <laughs> Poor know, Xander. So he just wanted to whittle stakes and whistle a jaunty tune. I mean, that was yeah. That was all I mean, he was really. asking for. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have much 
you know, real heavy handed patriarchal bullshit this week. I mean, I like Spike hitting Buffy with a piece of the school itself. Right. That feels something. Right. Well, it's about her getting hit in the face with one of her three unmeasurable yes. things, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> by one with exactly. the other. You know? <laughs> well, and it, and it's super minor, but I think Jenny exists in this episode solely to be Giles's reward at the end. Um, she doesn't yeah. even answer his question when he asks about her wanting to continue to spend time with him. She just takes his arm and right. smiles and they're, you know, done deal. The, the, um, that heteronormative unit is restored and all is well in the world there yeah. but yeah. we don't have much i mean mostly we have mm-hmm. we have a lovely we have you know lovely performative masculinity from spike and we have giles mm-hmm. and xander being awesome and yeah well, and performative authoritarianism from oh snyder God. but it doesn't <laughs> is it I'm not Snyder does not strike me as as the patriarchy so much as he he's part of an authoritarian scheme and a way of looking at life that is is very authoritarian and that I think that he would be equal opportunity. Um, uh, oh, he hates everyone. You know, I'm sure there are boys in his office too. So so because it, it is not it is not any of these particular things that are used to specifically. Um, you know, speak down to women. Although I guess when he is ignoring Joyce, um, you know, mm. while while they're deciding to go out, but I'm not even sure that that's about. I think it's just about who Snyder is, um, not necessarily about Joyce and Buffy. Although I think that he probably does look down on women. I don't think we have specific evidence for yeah. Women in this episode. Yeah, I would. He seems pretty equal opportunity asshole. He does. To me. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. Mm-hmm. I think he's an equal opportunity asshole. I think so, too. All right. So what are our girl power moments this week? Well, we talked about Willow slamming the vampire with the bust and getting her and Cordelia to safety. I love that. Mm -hmm. We got good in a crisis, Willow. We got good in a crisis, Buffy. Yep. Um, I love Buffy pulling up into the ceiling. Right. I love a woman with upper body strength. (laughs) I always love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Always love it. Very good. And of course, you know, I mean, I think I think the big moment is no spike. It's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. Right? Yep. (laughs) All right. So, Noelle, what is your favorite part? My favorite part is Angel and Spike catching up over drinks. Right. (laughs) Xander in the the hallway. They're Mm -hmm. so... It's... That relationship is so different from every other relationship we've seen. Of course, Angel is playing a role there. Mm -hmm. I just love their sort of brotherly vampire relationship in that moment yes and Mm -hmm. it's just there's something hilarious about xander just dangling there as a prop in angel's scheme (laughs) it's it's very fun and 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 again you know not terribly well thought out i mean it's fun in the moment but like what does angel even think he's doing like what is what is the point of going and confronting spike like what is that i don't know Anyway, <laughs> but it was really, really fun. Yeah. It's well, I mean, yeah. what does Angel even think he's doing in this episode? Just show uh, Not much. 
just showing, showing up. up to say, oh, by the way, this vampire is really, really bad. And then sneaking out, Bye. like, no details. <laughs> like, he, we know at this point all the stuff that he knows about Spike. Now, granted, that's, that's retconned at this moment. The people writing it didn't know all that history because it had not yet been created or filled in. Um, but with us knowing now what we know now, having seen all of Buffy and of Angel, um, Angel's reaction to Spike is going to be much more complicated than you know, he doesn't stop until everybody's dead. Like, and yeah. then he leaves, and that's it. It's like, there's there's much more information you could really give us about Spike. The fact that he's a fucking goofball could be part of it. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 really fun. I mean, for me, I gotta say, my favorite part throughout the whole thing is just Spike. Spike. Everything Spike. Spike, 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 Spike. Just, just all of Spike. All of Spike. Every moment of Spike. Except maybe when he says, women. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but everything else. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Dine Rich and Noel at Noel Aloud and use the hashtag still pretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons who are going to have a little less ritual and a little more fun around here. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by being brave and resourceful and thinking of others in a crisis. We're off next week for Chipperish staff development, but we will be back in two weeks with Inca Mummy Girl, the fourth episode of season two. Until then, who do you kill for fun around here? Here.